Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up and coming directors and writers of new neo noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. All right, Carly, what have you been up to this past week? Done anything cool? No. No? No. Sure? I killed some weeds in the front garden. You murderer. Yeah. Take that as a warning. You call yourself a vegetarian? I mean, no. <laughs> not at all. No, not in the slightest. I killed some weeds. Got some one pound weed killer. Killed some weeds. So yeah. Jumanji's nice. a little bit less. <laughs> Jumanji. I'm going to send you a picture of my garden. You'll know what I'm on about. Yes, please do. You no, know, no, speaking no. of Jumanji, I really love the original movie with uh, Robin Williams. As do I. And I can't stand the rock version. No. As, again, as do I. Yeah. I yeah. did get a free, um, I don't know what you call it, like premiere invite, like early. How are you getting free stuff? Oh, hell, I don't know. Amazon sent it to me. Yeah, yeah Amazon sent it to me. I don't get free stuff. Wow. Sorry. Also, you wouldn't have been able to go because you're in Britland. I mean, there's planes, so. <laughs> to see Jumanji, really? <laughs> no. <laughs> no That's the worst use of a plane I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. As soon as I said it, I thought, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, the, there's, com, you know, funny bits to it, but it was like a pale comparison. I mean, I'm terrified of flying anyway. The only reason I got on a plane to Canada was because you and Troy said there was good bit. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad you guys came out to Canada. Though. That was fun. That was a good time. It was. However, it was fucking terrifying for the entire time I was on a plane, which was about 10 hours. How do you think Santa Claus feel when you and Street attacked him? Hey. He signed up. Well, you don't even remember that. Actually, you guys are it. Okay. (laughs) You guys were so drunk. You didn't even remember Santa Claus the next morning. (laughs) I didn't genuinely. I didn't remember Santa Claus till like a week after I got back and went. What's this picture that Jason? (laughs) Street, do you remember this? (laughs) And he was like, Nope. I was like, Well, Jason's got a picture of it. So, (laughs) story time. (laughs) So we're shooting the documentary Millennium After the Millennium. We, uh, Carly and her husband Street come out to Canada so we can all meet up. On a plane, which was terrifying. On a plane, which was terrifying. They didn't come by boat, thank God, because they would have probably been there like a month after (laughs) we were there. (laughs) And so we go out drinking one night and just having fun or whatever. And we. One night. I love that. This, like, out of the five nights, we (laughs) went drinking for about the five nights. Okay. All right. It was was a week long binge. (laughs) At some point during that week, we come back to the hotel. And they're having a private party in in the hotel restaurant. That. And they're it's all decked out. This is like around December, so it's all Christmified. Yeah, because we got a bubble on a tree, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. 
That was completely separate, though. That was not at the same. Sorry. <laughs> that was a different place. <laughs> so, so they have this whole like VIP thing with this like red carpet sort of spread going in the restaurant. They've got Santa Claus for people that are invited to this exclusive party. Yeah, so exclusive you can hop over the fence. Well, there was nobody stopping that fucking train. You guys were like, you guys were like lightning, like the flash. <laughs> like you're like santa boom you're gone and in his arms <laughs> it was just like it was like what the heck? where did carlene street oh my god oh my god they're that's not for you, you <laughs> like, security's you coming over us, you got you? the you got the bell what was what was our the bellhop dude's name at the door what was their door name larry larry yeah larry larry the doorman who was awesome, by the way, is running over. The people at the desk are running over. People are trying to tear these lunatic British people off of Santa Claus. And he's like, oh, oh who the fuck are these people? And they're like, we just want a picture. <laughs> like, Santa's like, OK, OK, everybody back off. Just give them a picture. So <laughs> try, and, try and I go over there and take, I don't know, 10, 15 pictures because you guys wouldn't leave them alone. <laughs> it was just the most hilarious thing ever because, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you're getting into if you I ever mean, meet Carly. Barry was pretty small. Okay. First start. Santa stalker. Just saying. <laughs> you were you were smoking in the hotel when you weren't meant to be smoking. So don't put this on me. Okay. We we oh, made you realize yeah. well, that you weren't true. actually that supposed was... to be smoking and throwing your cigarette butts on people's heads. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad form. I didn't I didn't know what was happening. And then we all just did the same thing. <laughs> we had a bit to drink. That was that was bad form. Thanks for telling everybody what a horrible person I am. Appreciate that. And you let us get conned out of a load of money for a crate of Budweiser. Wait, what? <laughs> Do you remember when we went to that weird little place and they were like, oh, go in the back. And we had to go through them weird little, like... Oh, it wasn't even a door. It was like little bits of Velcro or something. And we went through there and there was loads of cases of Budweiser. And, and the woman was haggling with you. And you went, oh, yeah, we'll take that. And paid like three times as much as it would have cost. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah, because then we played, what is it, Cards Against Humanity? Yeah, we did do that. Yeah. Yeah. You paid an extortionate price for a crate of Budweiser. Really? Yeah, because we were telling you to haggle and you wouldn't haggle. <laughs> I'm not a haggler. I know that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, t I totally don't remember that at all. <laughs> you are not in charge of haggling. Granted, granted, I had a lot to drink that night. Well, that was after a load of people got kicked out of their places at the bar for us to come and sit down, even though they were regulars. Oh, well, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> they made people move so that we could sit down because they knew we'd spend more than them. <laughs> well, Street took his little journey down um, Edible Town. Oh my god! <laughs> I love, I love the fact that you that you text me in the morning and said, "How is Street not dead?" I love that. Right. That was that was like on day two. You text me and it was like, "Okay, so look, <laughs> how is Street not dead?" I've only I've only eaten edibles twice in my life. Okay, twice, two times, both times it fucked me up so bad <laughs> that I don't know how I did it a second time or why. <laughs> I don't know. You had a bad influence. Yeah, this is I'm much younger, guys. Okay, I don't I don't do this stuff anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just it was. It doesn't agree with me for whatever reason. But when I was younger, the first time that I had it, me and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, were going to a concert. I think it was, uh, 
I don't know, maybe the Smashing Pumpkins or something. I can't remember who it was. And uh, we ate it before we left. And the concert's about 45, 50 minutes away. I had no idea it takes that long for the fucking kick in. (laughs) (laughs) I ate this and the whole time we're like, we don't feel anything. What the hell? Oh, that was a waste of money, whatever. And as soon as we pull into the parking lot, I mean, bam, we are fucking blitzed. Like we can hardly stand. It was it was a nightmare. And we're going into this concert for like an hour, whatever it ended up being. And it was just like, I don't remember anything. I mean, (laughs) second time. A friend of mine decided to buy me a edible brownie for my birthday. I think this was like, I don't know, my 38th birthday. This is years later. <clears throat> and I only ate like a bite of it. And it made me so sick. I threw up and it was just awful. And I come to find out, he tells me, oh, yeah, that was like the strongest edible that you can buy. <laughs> oh, like, that's nice. Happy birthday. Hope you don't die. Yeah. I'm like, thank God I didn't eat the whole thing because it's a brownie. It actually tasted good. I was like, I was so worried about it because my last experience, I like only ate like a small portion. And that small little portion like made me so sick. <laughs> It's awful. Oh, my God. Do you know the thing? How did we get on this conversation, by I the way? I don't know, but <laughs> the last word on this conversation, which Troy is going to hate me for saying, but <laughs> we'll find out if he listens to the podcast or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember <laughs> the funniest thing about that whole week in Vancouver, right, other than all the craziness that ensued, like randomly turning up at the X-Files and all that kind of crap and getting drunk in a bar and making weird friends and all that kind of madness. The best thing about it was when I came back to the hotel room and Street was just laying on the sofa. Yeah, he was out. He was completely comatose. And Troy (laughs) sat on the chair (laughs) and I asked him if he was okay. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, chair's trying to eat me. Bob does. With me, but he was convinced that tr- like the chair was trying to eat his hands, <laughs> and you fucked off because you just went bad. And I was like, I can't film this because that's in you know unethical. But this is hysterical. I wish somebody else could share this experience that he thinks oh, that is not unethical, hands. and you better film it next time. <laughs> <laughs> and then Street woke up randomly woke up and kind of agreed with him that the chair was eating his hands. And I was like, am I, am I, is there something that I'm missing? Maybe the chair is eating him. I don't know. I just, this is the first time I've heard this. I didn't hear, I never heard anything about the chair eating anybody. This is hilarious. You guys got to understand. So like, so like there's a street, there's like a street fair. This like, we're, I don't know what is like midnight and there's all these dispensaries. They walked down and apparently from what I understand is street just started taking handfuls of the, I guess it was just crumbs like cookie crumbs and brownie crumbs and things like that. that They were given away for free at the dispensaries and he just was taking handfuls and eating it. And then he was just like baked. (laughs) Apparently that's what happens. Chairs eat you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Enough of the. Um, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> trip down memory lane there. <laughs> Street and Troy asking for a harp in an Irish pub. That's a whole other podcast there. Right there. <laughs> 
right, so tonight we're going to be drinking a, a amazing drink to me. This this sounds like this sounds like so much fun. I, I can't wait to, to do this one. It's called a black velvet. All right, Carly, you're probably not going to like it, but maybe you will. I don't know. It involves beer, so maybe you'll love it. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So <clears throat> the black velvet is an interesting mixed drink. It combines champagne and dark beer in a single glass. All right. Uh, it sounds like it's kind of an unlikely combination. Doesn't sound like they go together, but it's actually really good. Uh, it's been around for a long time. Um, and it's probably the first beer mixed drink. Now you've got certain things like, uh, I don't know what you call them. I can't remember, like the, you drop the shot glass into a beer, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, flaming Dr. Peppers. There's all kinds of different like stuff out there with, with beer now. But uh, this is probably the very first one that involved beer as a mixed uh, kind of drink thing. Um, <clears throat> it was created in London. Carly, so this is another British drink. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and it was created over the death of Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert. Oh. This was, uh, the country was in mourning and uh, in London, they created this drink, uh, I guess for people that were, you know, mourning the death of, of Prince Albert. I know nothing about that. Uh, in America, Prince Albert means something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's where I came from. Um, and the ingredients is four ounces of champagne chilled and four ounces of a stout beer. Um, I think like a, a Guinness or something like that probably probably works. I think it's like a, a stout dark, dark beer um, is what would work best with this. And it creates a very cool visual look too because the separation of the alcohol stays in the glass almost like uh, oil and water okay um, so it's, it's pretty neat and i get where the the name comes from um <clears throat> but uh okay so to make it you're gonna get your ingredients and you're gonna pour the champagne into a wine flute and you fill the glass halfway and then you slowly pour the stout on top to fill the glass and you serve and enjoy. Um, it's traditionally made with a French champagne, but any sparkling wine, uh, they say will create a nice black velvet. Um, you might, for instance, want to use like uh, Italy's like Prosecco or uh, a cava or something, um, which tends to be less expensive than a champagne. Uh, but Prosecco is pretty good, in my opinion. I don't know if you drink a lot of wine or, or champagne or anything. Not like a fan that, of Prosecco. Not a fan of Prosecco. No. Well, that's too bad. Well, I mean, there's other things you could try. You know? Like gin, maybe? And... Gin? <laughs> no, not like gin. Oh, all right. <laughs> and because, you know, alcohol and wine is typically like a, a lower alcohol um, percentage, um, the drink itself isn't terribly strong. It probably comes in around somewhere between 8 to 10 uh, percent. Um, but I mean, if you're not careful, that'll knock you on your ass too. So, <clears throat> so there it is, the black velvet, and I think it's a pretty good drink. You should try it, Carly. I give it well. 
You should. I you think should. when you lockdown's might. over, I'm going to try all of these drinks in a bar and put it on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I know it's hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard to get different types of alcohols and a lot of the stuff we we're actually drinking and trying to, you know, as we go. But uh, some of these things like the... <clears throat> oh, I can't even remember the names of them now, but some of them are, have, have so many different ingredients. Um, you know, it's not readily accessible. But um, <clears throat> Carly's going to be hitting the uh, alcoholic shop <laughs> tomorrow uh, as lockdown eases. That's it. I will. Right. I'll be quality control. <laughs> I'll test all these drinks. I, maybe that's the end of the uh, series. I'll test all the drinks and see which one's the best. Oh, Carly, you just gave me a brilliant idea oh, for a season God, final. What? I'm not going in okay. a coma. I've got Damn time it. for that. <laughs> but you do. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> I do. All right, I'm so lying. here's what we do. We take every drink from this season, we pre-mix them, we get on a call, <laughs> and we go through them. Oh, God. I mean, I would find that fun. I don't know if the listeners would find that fun. Oh, I think it'll be a perfect season ender. I think that's what we should do. <laughs> And maybe we have Daryl on. Let's bring Daryl oh, on the show. Yeah, maybe Daryl awesome and bar. Carlos. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can do that. If we can set this up, folks, we're going to do this. Whether Carly wants to or not. <laughs> no, I mean, you don't have to bend my arm that far to drink a beer. No, so. And if anybody wants to come on the show, maybe we'll make it a Zoom. Yeah. Call. We can bring multiple people on the show, maybe, if, if you know time allows. And we'll have all of our, we'll, we'll send everybody out the ingredients that you need and instructions to make the drinks. <clears throat> and we'll just go down the list. Now I'll do a substitute list for anyone that's too lazy to go to the shop. Yeah, like and me. I think it's like, it's got to be a last man standing kind of podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He's not dead at see, the end of it. I can see this going hilariously <laughs> or tragically. <laughs> Within a half an hour, everybody's dead on the floor, or... I mean, Daryl, start inviting people to the bar, just saying. Well, I'm thinking Carly might be talking to herself for like two hours after everybody's already passed out and not realizing it. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, this could be fun. I think this is something we sh should try. Let's, let's give this a shot here. All right. Stay tuned for that. That's probably going to be three, four weeks from now, depending <laughs> on uh, what we do with this uh, double episode that we're going to be recording next. All right. So there you go, guys. Uh, check out the Black Velvet. I think it's an amazing drink and you should uh, enjoy it as well. And it's the perfect drink for tonight's film. Here's the trailer for Dark Passage. from a guy who sees them all. It's the best yet. You won't tell me because you think I'll come there. You think I'd follow you. Well, you'd be insane to follow me. I... Was I insane to pick you up on the road? Was I crazy to let you stay here?
had a pretty good life here, but your going away doesn't make it seem good anymore. No, I've got the Indian sign on me. It seems I can't win. I've sort of joined your team. Don't look forward to being without you. When I leave here, you're off my team. Lucky to be. You're a guy with plenty of trouble. I don't have a trouble in the world. Don't tell me, brother. I know. Your trouble is women. I've cried myself to sleep at night because of you. She's got you now. She wants you very badly, doesn't she? She's willing to run away with you and keep on running and ruin everything for herself. So she doesn't have you now, and she'll never have you. a trailer for Dark Passage, which is a 1947 American crime thriller film. Why do they always call these thriller films? It's a, it's a film, this is a film noir. This is a 1947 film noir, right? It's directed by Delmer Davies. Oh, God. <laughs> and starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, his wife. One of, I believe, four films they did together. I think this was the third film. Yeah, this is they the did third the of big four sleep, films. Key Largo, Dark Passage, and what was the other one? Uh, I don't know. There's four of them though. I have actually I have the the uh, Bogey Bacall box set that's got all of them. But for some reason, I remember there being five films in there. I'm not sure, but apparently there's four that the real life couple Bacall and Bogart made together, and this is the third one out of the four. Um, <clears throat> I love this movie for many reasons. But uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, this film is based on a 46 novel of the same name by David Goodis. Uh, and that's kind of amazing. Uh, a year after the book came out, the film comes out. So there's very little time. Very short space of time, isn't there, between these adaptions? Yeah. So it kind of makes me feel like maybe this book was shopped around at studios and picked up before it even was released. And the movie was put into process. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but this film has a very unique spin on the way that it's filmed. It's not the first time it's been done. It's maybe the third time it's been done. But we'll get that to a little bit. We'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> Had too much to drink already. <laughs> uh, we'll, get, we'll get into that in a little bit once Carly gives us our, our her, or the super... Famous. famous nutshell the famous nutshell synopsis right did I, get, I didn't get that right i mean I I didn't get that right. it was not quite but you know it's okay it's okay nobody cares <laughs> who listens to me anyway <laughs> you're all here for carly we know it hell yeah <laughs> okay are you ready this one's a bit of a long one so you have to bear long. with long uh-oh yeah all right Okay, so a man 
wrongly convicted of murdering his unseen wife, somehow escapes from prison and is kidnapped by a wealthy painter who doesn't care that the fight to clear his name ends up in him actually getting pinned for another murder. Yes. I mean, I love how you added the unseen wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was waiting That's to see true. her, but, you know, she never rolled around. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, we kind of jump in after the fact, right? Yeah. Like the murders already happen and we're, we, we get in the middle of the story there, which is part of the reason it stays interesting. That's an accurate, good synopsis there. It's it's on the long side of you know what you normally do, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. Well, I did warn you. It's pretty good there. <clears throat> we don't see his wife. He uh, supposedly you know went goes to prison uh, for the murder of his wife, and it takes us a little bit to kind of figure out what happened. We eventually do, but uh, we open the movie with him escaping. He's in a barrel, an oil barrel, which I thought was hilarious. That was great. That opening shot yeah. of him like bumbling around in a barrel and then escaping was brilliant. Yeah, it's fun. You just see this truck and the camera kind of goes through the car and then you see a barrel and there's fingers poking out of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, what's this about? Because you don't know. You don't know that there's a prison thing. You don't know what's going on. And then he just starts kind of wiggling back and forth and wiggling back and forth and falls off the truck. And I wonder if that's bogey. I wonder if that's a stunt double. I wonder what that is about because that doesn't look fun. <laughs> that was a pretty good uh, steep hill that he rolls down. And uh, thus continues the uh, interesting camera angles uh, in this movie with the barrel and and seeing the camera through the barrel. And that's uh, kind of how they do the, the you know, I, I think there was additional credits that start rolling through the barrel there. I can't remember or not, but it was just interesting. They kept it all interesting cinematographically. Cinematographically. Cin oh, my. You're making up words now. <laughs> yeah, that's never going to end. No. Okay. <laughs> Noari cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have our own dictionary by the end of the series, like purchase and resurrection hey. films, aren't it? <laughs> Not a bad idea. Well, there we go. Always thinking. <laughs> um, and they keep it interesting. The, the, I did think it was silly that he takes his shirt off and buries it in a tree yeah <laughs> I was like, that's the one fault i have for this movie is the is the the burial of the shirt in the tree and then later on he comments about it and he's like i sure hope i buried my shirt deep enough or whatever it was that he says and i'm like no you didn't you stuck it in a tree <laughs> it's never like, deep enough. that's like that's prime for the dogs buddy <laughs> like, that was a bad decision <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah and then um it continues with more interesting stuff he hails a car he like decides i'm about to make some bad decisions here i like the fact <laughs> that he talks through the bad decisions though like the, 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 <laughs> the in the monologue he's like oh man don't know if i should do this i'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> Right. It's like, I haven't, I've made so many bad decisions already. I'm not leaving myself much choice, but to make more bad decisions. <laughs> so here we go. Here we are. <laughs> the prisons, the prison alarms are sounding and, and there's cars driving by, but I'm going to run out into the middle street anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I should get in this car, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I know. It's like, give me a ride. I didn't just escape from prison. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Could you be more obvious? Like, oh, where are your shoes from? I don't know, it was rolling around in the mud. Who rolls around in the mud on a fucking hill? I mean, right. okay. 
at least make up some fishing story or something. Yeah, just some it. <laughs> I was trying to catch the prisoner that escaped and rolled around in the mud. Go on. Yeah, <laughs> something. But that just that 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 gives you a sense of his character and how uncriminal he really is, because criminals they would have a much better you know storyline that they would have they would have something in their bag of tricks you know if they're gonna do this they would have thought about it they would have thought about it, but he's so non-criminal i do have a confession to make oh confession confession mm-hmm. um i haven't seen this before because, you haven't seen Dark Passage before. Because, uh, do, you mem- do you remember when we were talking about conflict? Do you remember when we were talking about conflict, right? And I said, my mum thought it was Dark Passage. Hold on a second. Don't skip over this. Hold on a second. Dark Passage is one of those seminal noir films that everybody sh- has seen. Except me. Yeah, that's weird. And not on- not only that. Folks, you all know she's a big Bogey fan. Maybe not as big of a fan of Bogey as Sinatra, unfortunately. <laughs> but well, you haven't but signed yet, so. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is this is news. This is not you know this isn't small. All right. There's there's some weight to this confession. So all right, go ahead and continue. What's this about your mom? Um, so you remember when I said uh, in conflict that my mum was getting really confused about the Humphrey Bogart film that she loved? Yeah. She she was convinced for years it was Dark Passage. Those are very different. <clears throat> yeah, they are. But she was 100% convinced it was Dark Passage. And I was like, well, I've got your Dark Passage on DVD and it's not the one you're on about, so I don't understand what you're talking about. And because she was so How offended... Did you know? She was How so you know offended that one? Dark Passage wasn't conflict that she threw it in the bin... <laughs> So I never watched but, it. But when you told never her that, how did you know it wasn't Dark, Dark Passage? Because she put it on for the first 10 minutes and went, that's not the one I'm talking about and turned it off. Oh. And she threw it away? Yeah. Oh, how could she do that? I mean, she's shocking, really. <laughs> she's amazing, though. She can she can get away from stuff. With, you know, she can get away with stuff like that. <laughs> she gets one. Everybody gets yeah. one. So I never, I never watched it because she always kind of said like, "Oh, it's that, that's that pale imitation of that film that I thought it was." So I never, and it's never on TV over here. I've never seen it on TV, um, huh. and I never, I never just, I never come across it. I knew he'd done it, but I never ever batted an eyelid at it. This was hundred percent the first time I've watched it. So interesting. All right. Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess I, I figured most Bogey fans have seen this because, you know, the whole uh, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren, ba- Lauren Bacall thing. Oh yeah, I can. Yeah, I can hundred percent see why people have. Like I said, I've been aware of it, but I've never, I've never seen it, never sourced it, never. Other than my yeah, mum throwing DVD the, in the freaking bin. Right. And because of the way that it was shot, it's it was a unique style that mm-hmm. only. There's only one other noir film, I think, that used that sort of same style, which is also a film I love. But this one is hailed as doing it most effectively. Oh, secondary confession. Uh-oh. Are you ready? You don't like Bogart? No, shut up. <laughs> secondary confession. Yes. When I watched this for the podcast, my husband watched it with me. Oh, no kidding. And he does not like noir films or black and white films. And 
I said, uh, you know, are you gonna are you gonna sit and watch a film with me? And he was kind of reluctantly like, yeah, okay, I watch one. Hmm. So you know, he sat there in his chair watching it, and I thought he was zoning out. Halfway through the film, he turned around to me and went, "She's an undercover cop." I thought, "Oh my shit balls, you're watching this." <laughs> and he and I looked at him and went, oh, "Who do, who do you mean?" And he went, "Her." As in Lauren Bacall, uh-huh. she's she's got to be an undercover cop. That's the only reason why she's pacifying him. I was like, "Oh my god, this is why I married you, man!" Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he, so this is the second Humphrey Bogart film that he's watched with me, without me having to say, "Sit there and watch that," because it's amazing. Nice. That's cool. So it must be fucking good. Yeah, but she's not an undercover cop. She's not. No, but I mean, the effort was there. Yeah, no, that's that's cool because I was just thinking as you as you relayed what he said, that would have been fantastic. That would have been interesting. Yeah. 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 Like the the I'm just playing that in my head how that would have worked. That would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I think my husband just like made a fucking rewrite yeah, of that. That. That's, <laughs> that was a that was a pretty good call. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually quite disappointed when she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm glad that he was able to sit down and watch it with you because uh, I, I thought I was going to have a harder time having my wife watch these films with me. But she's now she's been like, OK, what movie are we got to watch now? And uh, yeah, so that's interesting. I think she's she's sort of opened up her view of films, you know, and is getting more interested in these older films. I definitely think she's always seen like the merit in them and why they're considered classics and that sort of thing. But I always took it as like, she's more of like, I would rather watch something that's new, more of my time. It's more interesting to me. I can relate to it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not a film buff kind of you know person, but you know, she seems to, to like them pretty well. And that's, that's exciting. So it's good to good. that streets opening himself up a bit to it. Good to hear. What did you think about how the beginning of this film was shot? I really liked it. Yeah? Yeah, I really, really liked it. I, I can't uh, say that I wasn't hooked from the first minute. And that was so purely because you. of how it was shot. I was like, because I hadn't seen a POV in like a noir film before. And I was like, oh, this is quite interesting. I quite like I like where this is going. And you always bang about shooting stuff in POV. And I was like, oh, my God, Jason's going to have a field day if I like this. <laughs> so you haven't seen Lady in the Lake either. Uh, no, I don't think so. 1947. So it's the same year, but I believe it came out first. Oh. Um, and I thought they did that quite effectively in, in Lady in the Lake. And I, I saw that, sorry, did I get that name wrong again? Lady in the Lake. Yes. Lady in the Lake. Not to be confused with the M. Night Shyamalan movie, Lady in the Water, which I'm sure Carly equally hates. Nobody will ever confuse the, the two, I'm pretty sure. They have very similar titles, but I really like Lady in the Water as well. I didn't. I did not hate it like everybody else hated it. Um, I did hate the happening. <laughs> yeah, you know the plants did it. So, well, it wasn't really that that bothered me though. It was Mark Wahlberg's acting was horrendous. I mean, yeah, and that's what killed it for me. Yep, pretty standard uh, for Mark Wahlberg. So, no, he was exceptionally, exceptionally horrible in this. <laughs> he really That's zoned probably, in to being awful. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is, but I, I, if this was that was the I, probably the worst acting I've ever seen. Wow. If anybody ever shits on any of our movies for the acting, then they need to watch The Happening because 
Oh my God. And it's not like he's not, uh, you know, a thespian uh, that's been around for years because he has been, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Sure. He was a rapper at one point, but I mean, he's been in uh, plenty of films before this, so he knows the deal. And that was atrocious acting. <laughs> Worse than anything Keanu Reeves has ever done. I like Keanu Reeves. I don't have a bad... <laughs> even, if, even if his acting isn't fantastic, you know, he's still kind of fun to watch. But Mark Wahlberg was like terrible. Oh, so terrible. Anyway, how did we get onto the happening? You started it. Lady in the Water, Lady in the Lake. Dark Passage. Okay. So the POV in this, I thought was really interesting and really well done. Um, you know, it, it really, I thought you were going to be turned off by it, knowing that Bogart is in this film and you don't see him for like 30, 40 minutes. I'm, I'm surprised that you were okay with that. I No, I was because I didn't realize how much time had passed when I was watching it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. I was so suckered in. And obviously you can hear his voiceover, you can hear his kind of thoughts. And I was just so suckered in that it didn't bother me that I didn't see his face. Yeah, interesting. What did you think of the likeness of his original face as Vincent Perry opposed to the face of Humphrey Bogart being uh, Alan, what was his last name? Alan... Lionel? I mean, ridiculous. That was a drastic change, wasn't it? I mean, that guy that did the facial reconstruction should be earning fucking millions. <laughs> right? Not a back alley uh, plastic surgeon. Yeah, he's not a back alley doctor. He should be like on Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard, cutting up and dicing A-list stars, yeah. quite frankly. <laughs> and I love the cabbie that's like, oh, I've got a friend that knows a guy. <laughs> he was great. Right. I feel like this should have been like an ongoing thing. Like, I feel like they could have a sequel. Yeah. Just the cabbie. The cabbie. People. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. Because <laughs> um, I really, I really thought that was cool. Because I mean, when you think of like CD San Francisco or CD New York or CD LA, um, you would think there's people out there like, you know, yeah, they're that way. They come into contact with so many people. They're like, hey, I know a guy. Hmm. <laughs> That was really cool. Um, he did remind me of the robot cab driver in, uh, what was it, Judge Dredd? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the right movie, right? Schwarzenegger and uh, and uh, Sandra Bullock with the cab driver that won't let him out no, of the car. No, Sylvester Stallone was Judge Dredd. Sylvester Stallone, sorry. <laughs> Stop, I'm on that, we'll shoot, and I get a new face. <laughs> <laughs> but he told you, for some, whatever reason, the way he looked or whatever just reminds me of that robot cab driver. That movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, but, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I'm wondering, this is another one of those times where I wish I had done a little bit. I didn't think of it when I was doing the research on the film, but uh, I should have. I wanted to look up um, when plastic surgery became a thing. Yeah, but you said this about LA Confidential. Plastic surgery? Did yeah. I? Oh. Well, then I still need to look that up. <laughs> like 10 episodes later. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm two films into plastic surgery, and I still haven't figured out when it became prevalent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because all the uh, ladies of the night would get... Um, 
plastic surgery to look like mm -hmm. movie stars. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I think I think watch if you were living during this time and going to see a movie like Dark Passage in 1947 and one of the key plot points is plastic surgery, it would had to have been something either prevalent or at new. the time brand new. or or cutting edge brand new. Yeah. yeah. But there would have to be some sort of like public knowledge of it. Otherwise, it'd be kind of like, what the hell? You can't cut somebody's face up to look like somebody else. You know, I could just imagine that sort of attitude from people. And if that was the case, this movie probably would have tanked, right? Because it would have been so ridiculous. Um, but it didn't. It did well. And so I'm, I'm going to assume that it was something that it was either brand new, cutting edge, something that people were interested in, or um, it was very prevalent at that point, moment in time. So, hey, Carla, let's take a break real quick and talk to our listeners about our sponsors. All right, guys, we're back and we're going to keep talking about this film. Yeah, damn, did the doctor do a great job, right? Yeah, Hallie did. I mean, the the original Vincent Perry looked like uh, Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> right, with his little thin mustache and everything. And then uh, what's with the shaving in this movie? <laughs> it's like they're ever he's like Bogart's got a shave. And speaking of hair. Oh, I'll get God, this a little bit, go. but keep keep the hair in mind, okay? Because I'm going to bring that up again in a minute, right? So we start off where the barber, not barber, I want to call him a barber because he looks like a fucking barber, not a not a uh, plastic surgeon, but he's got to shave him. Then when he uh, gets his bandages off, he's told to sh shave again. Or no, 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 Here, here's what it was. We see him shave after he gets a room before he goes to the plastic surgeon, literally hours later, the barber's like, Oh, we got to shave you. <laughs> like maybe what? his beard grows fast. Maybe he's a growing boy. Right. But a week later, he's barely got a beard when he takes his bandages off. I mean, granted it looks dark, but there's hardly any hair in his face. So, so I don't think that it was, uh, yeah, I just thought that was really comical. And funny. Well, the good thing is we don't need to worry about Travis's stubble for room 19, do we? Uh, why is that? Because we'll just be like Dark Passage. It doesn't grow or it grows. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, that's right. We had that whole uh, debate. Over yeah, okay. Yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking about. Nobody else knows what the hell we're talking about right now. <laughs> Sorry, people. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully someday you'll know. <laughs> One day you'll know. Support us. Give us your money and we'll make this film so you know what we're talking about. <laughs> and we'll have a beard, not beard. <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah, so I found the shaving thing kind of a <laughs> a weird, funny sort of thing that kept reoccurring. Because even uh, Bacall says something about shaving. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It was just funny. Can I just take a moment to say what a boss Lauren Bacall is? Oh, she's amazing. Best actress ever. Yeah. Hands down. She's great. She's, uh, yeah, I, I love Lauren Bacall. Um, her and I know we we watched uh, another movie with Veronica Lake, but those were my two favorites, really. I think. Oh, Veronica Lake uh, hasn't got a candle to Lauren Bacall, really. Uh, I mean, I like her. Uh, you know, um, but you know, each their own. It depends. I'm sure there's other people that would you know pick other people over Bacall too, but I think she's fantastic, and she's still alive and kicking. Uh, no, she's not. 
Oh, okay. Wait, what? Did she pass away? Racial alarm calls that love. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. I thought I just recently saw maybe like a year ago or something. She was up here in San Francisco for the Noel. I'm sure she died very recently. Oh. Oh, my God. Don't cry. You're you're hurting my feelings now. I didn't. I'm not the Grim Reaper. Oh, shit. I'm not the Grim Reaper. No, she passed. She passed away in 2014. Oh. I mean, if she was at Noir Fest, then that's pretty good going, to be honest. I had to have known about it and just forgotten. Did you block it from your memory? I must have, yeah. It's understandable. And she was only she was only 89. Yeah, she wasn't realistically yeah, that she old. She still looks great for her age, too, man. She looks so she looks much exactly like she did when she was younger. Same. Yeah. Gosh, I can't believe that many years has passed because I swear to God, I saw like articles and stuff about her being up here in San Francisco for the, uh, there's a noir film festival that happens every year uh, up here. That I um, never get to be what... invited to, FYI, people that run the festival. <laughs> I, I have never gone yet. <laughs> um, and I really want to. And and what a perfect movie if they were showing something like uh, Dark Passage up in SF, you know, because man, did they do a great job showing San Francisco in this film. Yes. Um, yeah. I was like being from here and having been to a lot of places that are in this film. It looks like a topsy-turvy world. Is that right? It is. Yeah. There's streets are like super steep and they're windy. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very much, it's one of those towns. If you have a stick shift car, you don't want to drive there. Um, although I had a stick shift when I used to go to college in San Francisco um, so I learned quickly <laughs> how to drive up those steep, steep hills. To get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it really does. It has that sort of Alice in Wonderland kind of uh, feel to it because it's it's like a very mis, mis, you know, matched sort of like clump of different things. You can tell that there was building going on years later. This part pops up and they have to figure out a way to integrate it and. Uh, they're like, no, we're not flattening the roads. Let's make them mountains. <laughs> I don't, it's just really weird. Sounds about right, you know. But it's beautiful, too. It's like it has its beauty in it. And I thought that they photographed it so beautifully in this film. It it's it was really, really nice, you know. And then to see them go through like the tunnel and and stuff and the way it looked 80 years ago. It's it, Yeah, it's one of the few films that I've seen. I mean, obviously, never having to been San Francisco. It's one of the few films that seem to get a lot of different aspects of it and the key things that you see as tourists. Now, you lied. You went through San Francisco. You went through San Francisco. I went to the fucking airport and smoked outside. (laughs) It's not quite the same. So you've been there. (laughs) I mean, if I could have got on Alcatraz, I'd have been happy. Right. Well, you'll come back someday. We'll go to Alcatraz. Oh, my God. I'll be so excited. Yeah. You'll enjoy it. It's pretty fun. I'll I'll take a GoPro and we'll make a film there. (laughs) because <laughs> yeah. i'll probably get fucking lost so <laughs> we'll just hide in one of the cells till it shuts down for the night and then shoot a movie <laughs> oh my god that'd be so exciting <laughs> but yeah it's it's really interesting to me to be able to see some of these sites that i've been to you know but it's 80 years ago and to see how different it, it, it actually looks very similar to it does today even when they drive down into the presidio and he has the fight with um the guy that's like following him around and trying to extort him for money. And he, and he basically pushes him off a cliff. <laughs> oh yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah. Driving down the, you know, in the Presidio. And then I think it's like a little bit of fakery there because they're driving. It looks like they're driving through the Presidio, which all those buildings you see in the background are now like, um, 
children's museums and stuff where they have children, children can come and do like different activities and things like that. Um, and it's also sort of, <laughs> that's where Humphrey Bogart pushed them on off a cliff, but carry on with your coloring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that they kind of fake it because then in the background, it looks like it's the golden gate bridge and not the Bay bridge. So I don't know. I'm not, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting and it's all looks pretty neat and, you know, to see it from 80 years ago. It's just really cool. But, and I think they do some, some stuff there from, uh, what was in vertigo and a few other films, but, uh, yeah, it was just, it's just really cool. And to see how like the cable cars, you know, cause I mean, they're, they're still the same, you know, there's the cable car he jumps on and doing the little roundabout thing with the cops watching him, all that stuff is still the same. Um, so that was pretty neat. What do you think about Bob? Mm. No feelings about bit Bob, of a, huh? Bit of a scoundrel. Bob? Mm. Really? Mm. I felt bad for Bob. And he took it so well. Yeah, but if, I'm not being funny. If you're that nice, you're a scoundrel. There's something wrong there. There's something underlying. Okay, so help me out here. So if a man doesn't take no for an answer, they're looked at in a more positive light than the guy that takes no for an answer says, this is awful, this sucks, but okay, no, I respect but your wishes. He was, he was a bit of a wet See you lettuce, in another, What? No, he was. And he's like, tangled in with that other woman that put him in jail. And Oh, boy. Carly just likes the bad boys. <laughs> I, don't know. Oh, I don't know. Now I'm wondering what Street's done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he only murdered 27 people, but it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was very interesting to see. Did you like Bob? I did. I thought it was very interesting to see a man portrayed in a film to be respectful of her wishes. Very, very understanding. Yeah. And yeah. well, the thing is, it was in small, minute details where obviously he cares for her. I like when he, he took cared- the, the mad woman out and he was like, obviously, you know, you're here with a serial killer. Um, I'm going to take this crazy lady that's upsetting you out. Yeah, but I mean, I I just felt like it was one of those things where they show somebody who you don't see this very often. They show somebody who cares more about the person than themselves. Yeah. So he's like, I I understand, think you know your choice that that's not great for me, but I respect your wishes, and because I want you to be happy, I will make my leave. Kind of thing. And you don't see that very often. It's very rare you see that sort of thing because most men are not that way. They're yeah. like, I it's own very you, rare even now, I'd say, that you see that. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Right. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I, I thought Bob was a great sort of I don't know what you would say, fresh of breath air or some bullshit like that. Because uh you don't see it very often. And he's persistent. He's he's trying to court her. He wants to come over for dinner, he wants to hang out, and she's like, mm-mm. Like Carly, she's interested in the bad boy. Well, pass me the bloke that's got a bandage all over his face that's killed someone. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'll hide him in a car. <laughs> so that's what you need. That's what you, you know, folks, you're learning. We're here right now. That's how you get a woman. <laughs> Kill your wife. And change your face. Go to prison. <laughs> hijack a car. Potentially kill your best friend. And you're golden. <laughs> oh, I did feel sorry for his best friend. Yeah, that poor dude. <laughs> Oh, what a just, shame. He just got caught up in it. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, I, I halfway feel bad because, I mean, 
right. She's a crazy woman, but I mean, he really let her hit her over the head with his, uh, what was it? A trumpet? I think so. And kill him. It's like, come on, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that, that was sort of, uh, that was surprising to me actually too. I didn't think that he was going to be dead yet. And I was literally like, oh shit, now where's he going to go? Of course he goes back to the woman and we see his like five mile hike back to her house, which yes, that's real. <laughs> if you got to walk in San Francisco and you're in that part of the city, oh boy, <laughs> good luck to you. <laughs> Filbert, the Filbert Street steps and all that kind of stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, you'll be in shape in a few days if you have to walk around. There. <laughs> um. Uh, and I used to do that in between classes when I went to film school out there. Either sometimes I would have like four hours between classes and I would walk down through like Chinatown and, you know, maybe get a bite to eat and then walk all the way back to class. Um, and it's, you know, depending on the, the spot that you're in San Francisco, it could be a real hike. Um, so I was I was feeling that that was realistic of him being <laughs> wiped out. <laughs> um, he did seem very tired, didn't he, afterwards? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have made that in his condition. He just had his face reconstructed and <laughs> I'm assuming on some pain medication. Uh, he would have been pretty bad off. And then he gets back to her house and she's just all for it. She's like, yeah, let me take care of you. I'll be your nurse. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> she was a bit of a crazy psycho, wasn't she? Really? When you think yeah, about it. What, what if those bandages came off in a week and he was ugly? Where would she be at? Well, yeah. I mean, she doesn't know him and his personality. Right? So the only thing that she's got is looks at this point. If that, I mean, I don't know what matters to her. Well, obviously not looks because she knew him when he had his two different faces. So. Well, yeah. I mean, she knew him as Vincent Perry's original face. So I imagine he wasn't a bad looking fellow if, you know, if she was going to take him in like that. Obviously she's blowing Bob off for him. So, I mean, there's some, there has got to be some kind of attraction there other than like, Hey, it's a murderer. And, you know, I mean, obviously we find out her backstory of her father, you know, dying in prison because of, you know, some, something similar. Um, So there's that, but obviously there's an attraction. There's more than just her sort of helping somebody that was in the same situation as her dad. Um, So, I mean, I'm just like wondering, well, what if, that thing comes off and it's, uh, you know, I don't know, Edward G. Robinson instead of Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, anyway, but so she took a risk there. <laughs> but uh, she's taking risks through the whole fucking movie. I know, yeah. was not bright in terms of self-preservation. <laughs> no. At all. <laughs> uh, but that's what makes it fun, too, you know. Um, and then she's got... Madge, who is played by Agnes Moorhead, and you don't know who that is, do you? No. All right. So did you ever watch Bewitched? Yes. So Madge is um, Andorra on Bewitched. The mother? Yeah. Okay, so she was evil as well in Bewitched. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's also in Citizen Kane. And another um, uh, Orson Welles movie, The Magnificent Ambersons. I thought she was fun. She's the over the top, uh, you know, 
classic noir chick that you see in in all these movies. The friend that you really don't want to walk in when you're harboring a murderer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, stupidest thing to ever do. You're hiding from everybody and then you shout at somebody through the door and then leer at them through the window. Why? Why would you do that? Well, that's Bogart's fault. Fuck though. off, Madge. See my face. That's great. She can tell the police you're there. <laughs> well done. Yeah. <laughs> Bogart wasn't terribly bright. And that's the... that's. Yeah, again, it speaks to his character that he's not a criminal. He doesn't know. Right. Yeah, he's just acting on instinct all the time. Absolutely. And that's why he works, you know, in that role it, with, with that character. Because you, it just... There's subtleties like that that... And there's no... He didn't kill his wife. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that'd probably be me at the window. <laughs> Have a look. Do you want a picture? I'll sign it for you. Oh, crap. I was meant to be hiding. Just don't come back. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know, I accidentally shouted at somebody that knows who I am. <laughs> um, yeah, so she was sufficiently uh, a bitch <laughs> in this movie. Yep. <laughs> but she, she had wants. She wanted... Uh, Vincent, she was upset, you know, so she set him up and she put him in prison. To be fair, I didn't actually see, this is probably very naive of me, but I did not see the ending coming, which surprised me. Oh yeah? Which part? Yeah, I, d- I didn't know that she did it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of suspected it. Um, You know, as soon as they started talking about her you know, being at the trial. I fa- and all yeah, that. I found it odd that she had put a spanner in the works at trial. Right. But it wasn't enough to make me think, okay, she did it. Yeah, and I think there was like one line of dialogue where they said something like that woman at your trial. And that might have been yeah. between him and his friend. I can't remember exactly where the dialogue was placed at, but there was that one line that set it up. And then once you hear later on about her being at the trial or whatever um it it was to me it was pretty obvious who it was going to be but it was more about well how is he still going to get out of it you know it was to me it was less about who did it and more about how is he going to get free because this is i wasn't actually sure whether um lauren bacall's character irene was somehow tied into being a witness or something like that that's where I thought it was maybe going for a little bit. I thought that as well. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point because I actually, for a time being, I thought that that might have been the case too. But once he's rummaging through her drawers and finds the clippings of her father, and then we learn from her about her father, um, that sort of went out of my head. Like, there's no that would be way too convenient for her to be a witness and that to happen to her father and all that kind of stuff. I mean. There's definitely some conveniences here anyways, but that would have been just like too much for me. Um, it had to have been, Ag- you know, Agnes Moorhead's character. It just that made sense. Either that or Bob, because we never saw him and he was, you know, too pleasant about being dumped. Um, and I think the uh, the other shady uh, crook guy was too obvious as well. So the blackmail sort of extortion Scenario was a great story for him too, um, you know. Just it just felt right that it was Madge's character, you know, the character of Madge, that uh, that ended up being it, or his best friend, but he died early. You know, that could have made sense too. Mm. There's a lot of possibilities, but they 
they did a sufficient job sort of killing off those possibilities. The one part I was surprised though about her was jumping out the window. I know. Yeah. I was like, I didn't get that. She accidentally tripped and fell until he said it. And I'm like, eh, you sure about that? Really? (laughs) Did you you give her a nudge, love? I mean, nobody would blame you if you did. It really looked like she just like pulled those curtain backs and went whoop. Jumping. And I'm yeah. like, what the fuck did you do that for? And I'm like thinking in my head as she's falling, like I'm watching this special effect of her falling, which actually was pretty decent. Um, and going, oh wait, is she just trying to screw him over? Like he'll never be able to prove it. So she jumped to her death. Yeah. So he was definitely going to prison for her murder, like the final four cube kind of thing. Yeah, Screw what an you. ultimate sacrifice of vindictiveness. Like that is so fucked. But we learned that she tripped and fell. And that's kind of like, oh, that was a bit of a letdown. I don't know. I don't know. She did throw herself out the window, though, to be fair. Well, I mean, it 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 showed it. It showed, obviously, he didn't push her. You know, so when he says that she tripped later on, I mean, you kind of got to go with him because we don't think he's a criminal anyways, right? Oh, no, he's not. Well, if she threw herself out the window, then he still didn't do it. Right. So I don't think she threw herself out. I think she did trip like story wise, but it would have been so much funner had she threw herself on purpose. <laughs> um, it was just such a, that's why I was thinking like as she's going down because you don't know she tripped yet. Yeah. Cause women are sadistic. That's like the last trick, like in the book, right? screw you. I'm taking you down with me. <laughs> Absolutely. Not that women are sadistic. They can be, so can men be, but, um, Carly can say that because she's a woman. If I say something like that, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be lynched and mocked. full disclosure. I said that, not Jason. <laughs> women are fantastic. Because if I was going to take somebody down with me, I'd throw myself out of a window and be like, fuck you. You're going down <laughs> for my murder in your I face. Think about that. That is so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> That's women. <laughs> yeah. We are evil geniuses. We're not, we're not sadistic. It's because obviously we're geniuses and our genius last thought would be, well, you know, I'm not getting out of this. So you're coming down with me sort of thing. So we, in your face. we need to do that. We need to do a movie that starts out with a woman throwing herself off of a building and, and unravel why that happens. I mean, you just gave the flipping plot away, but okay. Well, yeah, but I mean, this will probably be 10 years before it happens. So everybody yeah, everybody <laughs> forgot about the podcast by then. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, season 10 will be like, yeah, remember that time back in season <laughs> one? <laughs> remember that episode we deleted because it gave the plot away? <laughs> oh, what a great, what a great setup, though. I mean, it really is. Yeah, but you see, this is why I can tap into stuff because like Room 19, for example, no man would write that. Well, because they'd be a little bit afraid to paint a woman like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a period of time where they would have done that easily. Today, maybe not so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, folks, Room 19, we keep talking about it just to let you know. Room 19 is a script that Carly has written, and it's something that we hope to make. We've been looking for the financing for for a while. We have some uh, awesome, notable actors attached to I it already. I keep name dropping it in case anybody wants to give us like 20 grand. Apologies. <laughs> 
It's one of the, and actually Carly at one point had uh you know I don't know what was it what'd you say it was five million dollars or something it was a like million. that. A million dollars. There was something, yeah, there's a million dollars that some producers were putting in, but they wanted to change a very, a very important part of the script that shouldn't be changed. And so she backed out of the deal. And uh, then her and I ended up hooking up and uh, working on Room 19. And uh, uh, we're, we're still looking for the financing. of it. So it's a, it's a topical subject. It, it is a neo-noir. Um, very topical it, right now. Yeah, it it, it ha- it's such a a difficult topic. People are scared to finance it, and those are the best films that you want to come out, um, because people are scared of it, kind of thing. Um, and so we're still looking, we're still looking. That's why we're doing all this other stuff that we're doing. We're doing the podcast, we're making smaller films, we're making books, and all those sort of things to sort of, uh, you know, build up our company in a way where maybe we can eventually get the financing to do that, or we'll just, you know, have to finance it ourselves, which, you know, is tough on its own, but uh, it's going to get made some way. Um, and, you know, hopefully with your guys' support. So uh, keep listening. But that's what Room 19 is. Um, and you can find some information about it on our website, resurrectionfilms.net. Um, if you're in the UK, resurrectionfilms.co.uk. Um, and uh, I even think that we've uh, put some stuff about it on our Patreon account. Yeah. Uh, we put some early like uh, storyboard. Early anime. trailers and stuff. Yeah. Some trailers. I think you put like maybe you didn't do the script or anything, but I think no. there's uh, uh, some uh, pre-visualized animation stuff that we've done and uh, maybe some music and some other stuff. But um, so if you really want to, if you know, if you're interested in that, Patreon is the place to be. Uh, if you subscribe to that, then we're we're only releasing important things like that to a limited number of people through Patreon because it's something we want the mass majority of majority of people to be surprised about when the film actually gets made. Um, so we're trying to play it close to the chest sort of thing. But that's Room 19. Uh, check it out if you guys are interested. And that's the reason why we uh, we talk about it a lot because it's a very important film project uh, that we've been working on for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Back to Dark Passage. Dark Passage. <laughs> I love that title too. I know, it's, yeah. It's a great title. Because the entire movie is like, it, it. he's, that's what he's doing. He's going from one place to another to try to get to, you know? Yeah. Uh, what was it, Peru or uh, wherever it was he was going? Where does he end up in? Where, where she comes to meet him at the bar? Yeah, I think it's Peru, right? I think so. I mean, what else is there to be said about this film? It's just, it's, it's a fun film. It's, it's shot in a unique way with the first person POV throughout the first half of the film. And then a great reveal of Bogey. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you can't really hold Humphrey Bogart as a, a huge reveal. I mean, he's such a distinctive voice. They're going to plaster his name all over the movie poster and advertise it. Yeah. You know, he's coming at some point. Yeah, you know it's Bogart, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that's not a huge reveal, but it's still fun. They do it in such an anticipated way. And I think it's interesting they keep him, like, masked for so long. That was such a brave decision to do. Yeah, what a great payday for Bogart. <laughs> that's like he's having, like, like, Brad Pitt in your film and going, well, he's going to be in the last half an hour. That's a very brave decision at the time I can only think for the actor at the time it's like oh I only have a week's worth of work and you're paying me $350,000 I know yeah 
Uh, awesome. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know? go to work. <laughs> I'm going to chill. I've got a voice. Yeah, but calls in the in the majority of it, and she carries it. You know, yeah. and I, I know that's a lot of critics have said that like Bogey's performance isn't great, and Bacall's is you know what really carries the film, and she's she's she is great in it. I didn't find a problem with Bogart at all in it. No. I thought he played the the role yeah. very well. Um. Oh, before we get to rating this film, I wanted to bring up something that I found out, which I thought was really interesting and didn't know about. Okay. Um, so pronunciation, police. Oh, get ready. God, there we go. <laughs> Alopecia areata. What are you saying to me? <laughs> also known as spot baldness oh okay alopecia i alopecia okay i don't know this i've never heard of it i did not know bogey had this oh wow i had no idea neither did i so it became prevalent on this film this is where he started to lose his hair wow he he had this uh i don't know if you call it a disease i'm not sure exactly what it is it's it's something that happens and we don't know why, but they attribute it to stress, mm-hmm. to physiolo- phys- physiological stress. And it's a very few cases, very small amount of people get this. Um, it happens a lot in babies, which we, you know, see a lot of babies when they're born there. And we attribute that to them just laying on their backs for large amounts of time. They'll lose like they'll have little bald spots kind of thing. Um, but into older individuals, there's really no reason for it to happen. Bogey had this and it started happening. He started losing large clumps of his hair while shooting this film. And so by the time that we see him take the mask off, the bandages off, he has a full on wig he's wearing. Wow. Um, so most of the time that we see him in the actual film, it's not his real hair. Um, a lot of these people, uh, well, not a lot of them, but there's a smaller amount of them that lose all of their body hair. Yeah. And people, and the doctors don't know why they don't know how to fix it. There's no cure for it. Some people, their hair just grows back uh, and it takes a long time. Some people's hair grows back, you know, quickly. Some people's don't. I actually had a friend that suffered. Really? This. Yeah. Alopecia. Interesting. And um, they lost their hair when they were like 16. And it never grew back. And it, it never came back. No. Wow. And um, it, it came back in like patches, but if you if you imagine obviously your full head of hair, mm-hmm. it literally came back in like patches. So you'd have like a one inch patch above your ear, or you'd have like a patch. Yeah, and you need to you got to shave that off. You know, yeah. obviously self conscious about it. Yeah, which is is really horrible because it, it really it it tells you and something they, about us as a human race. It was the eyebrow hair and everything as well. Like they lost the eyebrow hair, ha- actually hair on the head, like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, and that's it, it's one of those like I said it. It speaks volumes to us as the human race and how we treat other people and the perception of other people. Like nobody should be, should feel bad about that. You know, stuff happens. Plenty of people have contract things and get things. And we My friend why. did. They spent like 500 pounds on wigs and, you know, every couple of months and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's, it's such a, you, they're, they're going through something that's horrific just in terms of like socializing and, and perception of, of people. And then it's a cost factor too. It puts you in a financial situation to have to deal with that and to try to try to feel normal. Mm-hmm. 
And I very I sympathize with, you know, and, and I guess there, I can kind of relate in that way because my grandmother um, uh, ha- had cancer when I was about 11 years old. She got cancer and um, it scared the crap out of me. She didn't tell anybody. Right. And I walked in. It was at my uh, aunt and uncle's house and she was in the bathroom. The door was open and she was doing her hair or something. And I walked past and she was bald. Mm. And it's like as a little kid, I was just like, it scared the crap out of me. I didn't even recognize it was my grandmother. You know what I mean? It was just like it was a bald person (laughs) in the house. And I'm like, yeah, freaked out. And then I found out like all of her hair fell out from the chemotherapy and she had been wearing wigs for like a year and I didn't know it as a, as a kid. And it was like super, and I, it, it's man, it's just, I don't know where I'm going out with this, but it's like, it's one of those things where I could totally sympathize with that sort of predicament and having to deal with it and whatnot. And uh, I just had no idea that that happened to Bogey. I did see some pictures of him when he got older uh, where, you know, his hair was really thinned on top. It looked like. Um, so I just figured, you know, as he got older, but he, he died at a very young age. I think he was like 50 something, right? Yeah. He wasn't too old. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he looked like he might've been 70 <laughs> in that picture that I saw. And it was, you know, probably just from the hair thing. That is just my, my perception or idea of it. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really interesting and I did, I had no idea. Um, and that makes me wonder about the other film that we watched. Um, the desperate, Act. I can't think. Desperate hours, yeah. Uh and you know, was that a wig or was that his his hair? Did it partially grow back? What because they said it was coming out in clumps, and I'm like, ooh, you know, that's not good, especially being a movie star filming a movie. They said Bogart eventually had to have uh B twelve shots and other treatments to counteract the effects. Wow. Uh and then he did uh the treasure of Sierra Madre um after, which required him to wear a full wig anyways. So that was a good thing for him. Yeah. But anyway, I guess we're at that time to uh, to rate this film, which I think, um, I don't know. I'm curious what you're going to give it. I think you liked it, but I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to rate it well. You're a little Interesting. volatile. Interesting. Like would you like me to go first? I would, because you forced me. You twisted my arm. Hey. Almost broke my wrist. From across me, the continent, yeah, yeah clearly it I did that. forced me to go. I'm not Charles first, Xavier. I can't break bones with my mind. I no, wish I could. But you're, you're digital Carly, and you just reached <laughs> through my microphone and tried to hurt me. So I mean, yes, yeah. you go first. It's your turn. Okay. Ten. Really? Oh Ten. my gosh. Ten. Nice. Ten. All right. Well, tell us why. Because. I really, really, really enjoyed this film. Really liked it. Um, I liked how it was shot. I thought it was so interesting to me how it was shot. Very different from what I watched. Um, my husband sat and freaking watched it and loved it. Oh, he liked it. That's worth a five on its own. Um, yeah, 10 out of 10. Yeah, and the other five comes from just having Bogart in it, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I didn't realize that he liked it. I know he sat and watched oh, it with you, but yeah, I didn't realize no, it was something he, he was like, oh, this is he, like, he did like it because he was very annoyed that Lauren Bacall was not an undercover police officer. But <laughs> once once cool. he got over that, he was like, actually, I quite enjoyed that. And I thought, if I genuinely, this sounds awful, but 
if somebody that doesn't gravitate towards film noir and is not the biggest fan of that genre, let alone a black and white film, can sit Mm -hmm. and enjoy it, it's got to be a fucking 10 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with that, but yeah, I think because, you know, film's subjective. Yeah, I think if anybody um, can enjoy a new genre that they don't like and get engaged in it and get involved in it, then it's a bloody good film. Yeah, I mean, it is a good film. I agree with that. I I would give it a nine. Oh, what? I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah. I really like this film a lot. I've I've seen it several times. Um, I'm a fan of Bogart. I'm a fan of Bacall. Um, I really love the taxi driver character. Um, I love the portrayal of Bob. Um, and it's a fun movie um, to watch. And I love the the idea behind the cinematography. But it does feel a little gimmicky. Um, that it's done for so long. You're a little gimmicky, uh, I Morris. Think, <laughs> I In this particular setup, I just felt like that need to happen after the first like 15, 20 minutes tops. Um, it just went on too long because we already know it's Bogart. There's no secret. You know what I mean? Like if there was more of a secret of like who this person is, it would have made more sense to keep it that way longer. Um, but it just, it, it went on too long for me and just it made it a little bit gimmicky. That doesn't mean I don't love the film because I really do. I think this is a great film. I think they did a great job with the cinematography and how they did it. But not a 10 out of 10. No. And I love, love the landscaping shots of San Francisco and all of that. Um, There's so much to love about this film. I really... But not enough love to give it a 10. No. You suck. (laughs) Yeah. I did. I found like... Okay, so I watched this film... Right after I watched uh, our last week's episode, Green Green for Danger, mm. um, and I had so much more fun watching Green for Danger. Um, so that was a ten for me. Like this one, this this is very noir in that it's very depressing, very dark. Um, all those great stuff that we love about noir. Um. But there just wasn't, there, there's too much of not seeing our lead character in the first half of it that I ended up disconnecting a little bit, you know, because Bacall's not the lead character. She's a great supporting character. She's very important to the film. But even as good as she is, it doesn't carry our lead character, you know, and we don't see him. And we know who it is. We know it's bogey. So it just becomes a point where it's too gimmicky. You know, it goes way too long for me. Um, other than that, I don't really have any flaws in this film. That's the only thing that drops it down one gin bottle. Just that thing. That's it. Um, it's a great idea. The POV, it was done very effectively. They just did it too long. That's it. That's it. Other than why, otherwise, I 100% agree with you on everything else. And it's a great film. And needs to be watched. It's it's in my top ten. You of do know films. that next time you prattle on at me about POV shooting to save money, I'm going to be like, "Well, you didn't give Dark Passage ten out of ten. So, <laughs> well, they didn't need to save money. 
<laughs> I'm just saying this is this is going to be something that's going to haunt you for the rest of your filmmaking career with me. I'm just saying if you've got the money and you do it as a creative decision, that's fine. If you've got the money and you do it for half the film just to do it, there was no purpose. There was no reason to, to carry it out that long. Do, do you tell me what was the reason to carry it out that long? Because it was an interesting idea and it worked quite well. It did, yeah, but it would have been way more effective had it not went on for like, you know, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it was. Uh, I don't know. Uh, All right. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I understand. You get you, more you, involved you liked it. with I the liked character it too. by, you're not relying on seeing the character. You get more swept in having not seen him than when you get the reveal. You're like, oh, this is the person that I loved anyway. We should watch The Invisible Man then. Which one? Well, the original. Was it 1931 or something? Oh, I thought you were on about the series. Never mind. I was going to say, done that. Oh, done oh. That. The, yeah. Watch the, that. <laughs> the Vincent Ventresca series is also great, but we see a lot of him. I'm talking the original Invisible Man where you don't really see him at all. <laughs> well, he is invisible. So, I mean. <laughs> right. But it's not shot in POV either. Um, but maybe you'll really like The Lady in the Lake then. Because I, if I recall correctly, the entire film is POV. Well, let's put that on our list for season two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely going on the list. I love that film. I've got posters of Sunset Boulevard, The Big Sleep, Dark Passage, Blue Dahlia, uh, Lady in the Lake. I got all those posters like hanging on my wall. These are all these are all favorites of mine. Um, so that's definitely going to be a season two episode, <laughs> but I think you might like it. I think you, if I remember correctly, cause it's been, gosh, it's probably been almost eight years or 10 years since I've watched it. Um, I think you only see like a glimpse of Robert Montgomery, like in a mirror or something. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe it switches as well to where we see him later on in the film, but I, I seem to recall that you don't see him. It's mostly all POV. Um, but I thought it was pretty well done as well. And I love the story. I thought the story was great too. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so, all right. So we got a 10 and a nine last week. I believe we agreed on, we both gave uh, green for danger, ten. 10 out of tens. And now we got a nine and a 10. It's not bad. We're still, we're still there, right? We're still agreeing somewhat. <sighs> My, a minor gin bottle. of gin bottle. <laughs> All right, we've gone on quite a while on this episode, um, so we better cut it off here and let these folks get back to their normal lives. Carly, as always, thank you for coming on and uh, discussing uh, discussing films. Uh, it's been always fun. welcome. And, uh, we hope that yeah, and we hope that you guys enjoyed the the uh, black velvet drink. Um, I, I think it's amazing. I think you guys will like it as well. Um, and watch it, watch Dark Passage, and sit down with your black velvet and. Uh, and enjoy it, all right? And tell us what you think. All right, until next time. Until now, what did I say? Until next time. <laughs> until next. <laughs> until I've had too many black moments. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on 
the Speakeasy Noir cast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up, available now on Amazon, or you can check out one of our films available on Amazon Prime. Thank you.